health is about more than just staying fit. And with every year that goes by, I'm becoming more and more fascinated by how what we eat can impact our health and our potential, with a particular focus on gut health and the gut microbiome. It's not just what I eat either, it's how I eat too. It's all connected. That's why I've developed my own number one living drinks brand. Number One Living is based on this idea, the simple notion that by putting our well-being first and improving the quality of what we put into our bodies, we get more out of life. My range of kombucha drinks are full of bacterial life cultures, designed for a happy and healthy gut. They're sugar-free, vegan and naturally sourced, so you can feel great on the inside and enjoy life on the outside. Choose from refreshing raspberry, passion fruit or our award-winning ginger and turmeric kombucha. The number one living range is widely available in Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett's and Boots stores and online at numberoneliving.com. Grab yours today. Okay, on with the show. Hey, welcome back to I Am, the podcast that explores the possibilities and potential that we can access as human beings. I'm your host, Johnny Wilkinson. I think that you're going to find my guest, Bentino Massaro, really, really interesting. For a spiritual teacher, he seems so young to harbour such wisdom and depth in his intelligence. Yet his explanations are just so easy and flowing, and his responses have that beautiful simplicity that I think will strike a chord. For me, there's definitely a different dynamic in play when people like Bentino use their minds. They're not dredging up old learnings or rehashing the words of others or stuff they've heard. They're present, they're channeling something that's fresh, they have access to something that's so very relevant to this present moment and everything in it. And something also that silently screams possibility. Amongst a huge amount of other things that really took me aback during this exchange, I really felt the impact of what he had to say about helping others. Bentino, I think, has felt that calling in some way to really assist people in their plight, to help them to transcend their boundaries move into that space of greater freedom, joy and fulfillment. And when we attend to ourselves the same way, when we give ourselves the same patience, the same openness, the same support, the same inspiration, the same gentle nudge into the unknown, the same trust and confidence, we uncover our worth and our potential. And for sure, it's in what we don't know. It's not in what we do. And this is what I love with these podcasts. Every single guest and every single response points only to more unknowns more intrigue more curiosity more questions and therefore more podcasts and that's my passion bentino definitely fuels this for me and i really hope he does the same for you also with everyone listening and chipping in and letting us have access to what's coming up in you as you're experiencing these is so so powerful it's part of that team journey into something bigger so get those insights, whatever it is that's coming up in you, to hello at iampodcast.co.uk. We'll be sure to take them on board and see where they take us for everything that's coming. Thanks again for all your support. It's an amazing thing. Loving being on this journey with you. My name's Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Bentino Massaro. Bentino Massaro, what a brilliant uh, opportunity this is for me and a huge pleasure and privilege to have a chance to chat to you personally one-on-one. So thanks so much for, for joining us. It's a joy. Thanks. How are you? How do you feel today? Are you in good form? I feel good. Yeah, very good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm <laughs> fine. Thank you. Yeah, really, really good. I'm actually really enjoying this podcast, which is called I Am. It's always about human potential, which is a vast 
exploration. And I love following it in whatever direction it goes. I think that having sort of had a chance to have a good look at some of your stuff and I think there's there's a really interesting kind of exchange available here and I'd love to hear to begin that just a little bit about you and however you want to present that just to give it a bit of your your story well you know when you repeat a certain story at some point and like don't even know exactly if that's what happened but <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with what I do know for sure which is that around the age of 15 I got this insane strong urge to find out specifically the language that it showed up to in my mind was I want to know the source of life, life itself. I want to know the source of all of it. Because I was dabbling in <clears throat> personal development, meditation, some books on spirituality, some practices like telekinesis. So I was a little bit in that paranormal, meditative, metaphysical world. I was interested. But at some point, I, in a sense, got tired of it, you could say, and this strong desire came up to want to know the source behind all of it, not just like practice a little bit of this, gather some data here, get some more knowledge here, some more tools, but to really get to the source of it, like I wanted to. It was also a sense of like, I want to master everything, not just like focus for six months on this component and that component. And I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth of the source of life. So that's what kickstarted my, I could say, more earnest or intense spiritual search. Before that, it was just dabbling. It's kind of lifestyle. Interest, genuine interest, don't get me wrong. And, and this is what I see in a lot of people, but there is a shift between being sort of interested in spirituality or empowerment from the context and confines and conditioning of how you're already used to living and what you already assume you are as a human being within society. So it, it kind of starts like a hobby, like an interest for most people. Um, but then for a lot of people, and definitely for me, that was the case. There's this, this distinction at some point where you become what I sometimes call a sincere or earnest seeker. And it's like, nothing else matters. It's like some people would describe it as like Rumi maybe would say like you fall in love with God or the quest for God. But it's just, it's just this, this out of this world devotion that just grabs you from within and it doesn't let you go. So it's kind of like being grabbed by a current. So that happened around the age of 15, 16, more intensely. And that's what took me to some of the yogic philosophies, some of the Eastern philosophies. A couple of years later, I traveled to India for a bit. I suppose you could say I lived there for a little while, about six months. Just seeking teachers, reading books, meditating, walking, doing penance, you know, whatever, whatever it, it would take in my mind to like try to get to the source of life. So I was quite intense at that phase. Still am, I suppose, in some ways. And it was there that it was in India that I kind of had my initial awakening shift into the realization that what I was seeking for was always already present <clears throat> and not just as a conceptual idea because you hear this more now than back in the day when i was seeking but you hear this a lot like you already are what you seek and so forth but it landed for me in a way through a direct recognition it wasn't someone telling me that it was a direct seeing that oh this this very presence this very nature that i've been seeking and trying to create through effort trying to get to through 
reforming myself, trying to get to through this or that focus. <clears throat> it appeared to me, suddenly it was clear, like a little veil got removed. It's literally here. Like it's almost like I could suddenly taste the peanut butter I was seeking. It's like, holy, holy cow in India, right? So it's holy cow. And mm. that's my initial shift. And, and sometimes I describe that as over 90% of my sort of seeking energy dissolved. Never completely. There's always been, there's always been an intensity that remained and that lingered, whether it was to distill more teachings and to be able to deliver this message in clearer terms for the average Joe and build bridges and, and, and distillations, but also for myself, just deeper realizations of that truth and beyond. That's kind of the beginning. That's the beginning awakening of this journey. Well, then... Consequently, in following years, there, there were a few deeper, deeper awakenings or realizations that, that really took the foundations out from underneath any assumption that I've had about anything ever whatsoever. And that is, that's yet a different ballgame, different experience. And, and then being human, so to speak, or at least having the experience on the periphery of being human, the whole gestalt of that, the context of that, the way that you approach and interact with that and, and understand it and place it in context is yet again, very, very different. But I've been trying to bridge at least some of this to anyone with a genuine interest. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Where, where to start that? What was that like at 15, 16 living in a society, which normally at that age, you know, everyone's kind of going out there to find not the source, but in fact, almost the opposite, you know, to build on this identity, find their kind of distinction or their, their standout, you know, to be recognized, to achieve yet to go off. So how did that position you with your peers? Around that age? Yeah. Mm. It started a little before that because I was already into some weird stuff in, in their eyes anyway. <laughs> like I was just passionate. Okay, yeah, of course. Like yeah. tapping into the deeper you know, the powers of the subconscious mind and meditation and, and definitely, yeah, not many people in my high school environment were into that. So, you know, I'd be in the back of the class sometimes like trying to move a piece of tinfoil with my mind, for instance. <laughs> and I, I, I carried it very casually, I think. So for the most part, people were like accepting of it and it wasn't, it wasn't a huge deal. It was kind of fun, almost like a gimmicky thing. But yes, I did. I did feel a difference between my state of mind and that of my peers. And ever since I was a child, even way before that, I've always had this desire to mimic people, to like learn from them by, by making rapport with them, by meeting them where they're at. So even like at the age of, I don't know, six, seven, you know, if I'd be talking to my uncle, which is like a, a really smart intellectual guy who I had a great connection with, I'd like enter his world. That was my experience. I'd enter his world and I'd have an exchange with him of that nature of within those parameters of that frequency. And then I'd enjoy that. And I'd learn so much from that. And then I'd go back to my dad or my mom and I'd have a different interaction with them. And I'd be sort of like a chameleon soaking up all these different worlds and like learning as much as I could. And, uh, and sometimes mimicking that in other situations without really knowing why or how, but just testing it out. Like, what is it like to come from this point of view? What is it like to come from that point of view? 
Anyway, so fast forward to my peers, when I was really getting into this spirituality stuff consciously, it sort of started to blend with that absorbing learning from everyone, meeting everyone where they're at as much as I can, blueprint or, or quality, I suppose. And so for the most part, it didn't conflict, at least for me, it didn't, they didn't have to be interested in that. They didn't, you know, and some people thought I was weird, but, you know, a lot of people accepted me and I, I had a few good friends. So it wasn't like I was a total outcast or anything like that. So a, quite a normal life, but also because I carried it quite casually towards them. And I understood that there's different worlds. There's all these different worlds. And so if you let everyone just have their world and you learn from each other and you interact, there can be this consensus, genuine friendship, and it doesn't have to be weird and it can be inclusive and it can be acceptable. So it didn't cause me too many problems. But at the same time, I didn't find my home in that environment either. You know, it's not like that's the, that's the topics I want to focus on, what I learned in school or what everyone was talking about or the latest trends. For the most part, that didn't interest me. And it, it seemed like a bit of a waste of time. It's really interesting. A lot of what you're saying there as well is about, you're speaking about certain realizations and sudden urges and things like this. It almost, it seems strange because on this, I guess, um, adventure of, of, or path or whatever, like the preferred sort of adventure. So it's not this idea about this time based thing, but there's moments of sudden revelation. And yet, like you said, for someone that's this is fairly new to, it's almost like a path of getting you there. But for you, it hits. How, how do you sort of marry the fact that in someone else, it's something we're trying to almost not manufacture, but, but build towards or open to, and yet things reveal themselves to you? And you want to say, oh, it's because of this and this and this and this. But at the end of the day, it's just, it reveals itself. And it feels to me a bit like that with the trigger of awareness, this deeper awareness of something bigger. And that even the awareness you're saying there of people in different worlds, that's quite a, that's quite a substantial shift in perspective for someone at that young age to have that kind of compassionate view. But that awareness thing, it's almost like, the, the growth in awareness or the expansion of awareness, how do you help someone f sort of find that when often it just comes through revelation? Is, is there a, a way of creating the environment within someone, helping them to create the inner environment which becomes receptive to it? Or is it a path of gradually building or, or unveiling more and more awareness? How, how does it sort of unlock for you? Wow. Nice question. Is your final question, how does it unlock within me or how does it unlock in others in my experience? Uh, well, a, a, a bit of both, as in, because you were saying about making that bridge. And yes. I guess there's the, how does it unlock for you? And then is there a way of helping people to unlock it? But does that mean a different kind of unlocking for them? Yeah, every every time, and, and I am guilty of this throughout my journey. I mean, guilty. I, I've, this has been, you know, a challenge. And I think we all deal with this to some degree in our own worlds, whoever we encounter, which is the desire to help, you know, in the extreme case, the desire to save or rescue. Like that's how it can translate, but at least the desire to help. And every single time I've overextended myself to try to help slash save someone, it's just backfired massively. Um, <laughs> so first of all, that 
what needs to be appreciated, I think, speaking just from my own anecdotal experience, is just to have a massive respect for the way that the universe works through each entity and to not be too quick to assume that just because maybe you see more or you've already had an awakening or, or sequence of realizations that you can very clearly and even accurately tell that other entity that you love or that seems to be interested in what you have to share has not yet gone through. And you might see it so clear. And that's the problem with my mind. Sometimes I see it so clearly. Like I can read the roadmap to someone's mind where they're at, what they truly desire instead of what they think they desire and exactly what would be the quickest way to get there. Always open to the fact that that's wrong. But nevertheless, I see a lot of pathways for people very clearly, which is good because that's a skill I can bring into my teaching. So it's helped a lot of people. But when it comes to personal situations, people around me or things like that, which I think is the nature of your question, I've learned over the years, and I'm still learning to some degree, to let them be, to let them suffer. Let them suffer. And the thing is, and this has been very difficult for me, to see people suffer, to see so clearly how it's not needed, but then to learn to refrain from offering it. And I think there is a power in someone doing that for you Let's say that you see something I don't see, like I have a blind spot or I'm struggling with something and you've been there in your own life in a certain way and you've gotten, quote unquote, out of it or you've transmuted it. If you are in a position of true benefit towards me where you can truly offer something for me, but maybe I'm not ready or I'm not clearly enough asking for it, I'm not begging you for it, I'm not, or even if I am begging you for it, sometimes it may not mean I'm ready for it. So, but just for you to hold that loving awareness, to see the whole path for me, hypothetically, you might be wrong, there might be a better path, whatever, but you see what you see, and there's a desire in you, a natural desire, to assist me, to streamline my river, to like make me flow to the ocean more freely. But refraining from that, <clears throat> not always, sometimes we can, you know, offer something to someone if, if it's appropriate we don't have to always to refrain but there's such a power energetically just holding that awareness of someone's highest benefit seeing the path for them seeing the end result for them seeing their potential and that version and then to not fall and i'm speaking to myself to not fall into the trap of reaching in to their world and trying to offer that or toss it into their river unless it's really requested and they show a degree of readiness for what potential information or energy you have to share. But even if you were to just hold that energy for me, just that loving seeing, and you accept my suffering, and you accept my struggle, and you accept the fact that I could be asking you for it, but I'm not. Or maybe I am asking you for it, but it feels too desperate, and like I'm not really ready for it, and there's something I need to learn on my own before you are able to support me. But just by you holding that awareness, by having that in your heart, there, that's so healing in that case for me in this example. And so I've noticed more and more to simply refrain, to see people's potential over their flaws and their distortions. Now you can address their distortions if they're asking for it. But at the heart of it, to always see people's potential and just to hold that until they ask for it or until the time is there, until the intelligence of the flow just shows you, okay, now is the perfect time to drop this nugget. And it's appropriate to do so. And it's a tricky balance, my friend, to determine yeah, when, yeah. <laughs> when to refrain, you know, wisdom, roughly I could call that wisdom, and when to offer, and roughly we could, we could call that love. 
and to always balance love and wisdom and to refine that unity between those two. That's the journey for me after quote unquote awakening. That's the refinement. That's the evolution of being here in this apparently physical body interacting with apparently other human beings. This, it's really interesting hearing that because it brings up in me immediately that sense of, as you mentioned before, effort. It feels, it is a, it, for me, the way that it feels, I can relate it very much to, I had a, a sporting career and as much as that's not the most necessarily important part of my life, it was where things manifested on quite a clear level because it's very immediate. You, you have a goal and, and you can see immediately where the reflection is. Where do I stand? How do I, how am I aligning with, with what I'm trying to achieve? And where there is that sense of forcing, stepping out of your lane and, and, and this effort and it, you can get things done, but it seems to cause sort of more damage as well as getting it done. And I think for me, that movement towards that effortlessness that is, again is striking that balance is so powerful. It's really, it is, it's really, really important because I think, as you just mentioned at the end of this apparent physical world, for some reason in me growing up, I was immediately, as, as early as I can remember, I lived alongside an enormous kind of sense of doom and a huge sense of doom, just me and this doom. And I pretty much positioned myself or created myself via defense mechanisms as whatever, as an individual that, as you mentioned, I found an understanding. I had some various trickling downs of religious understanding. So they came into it. I had an idea of what a good life was. I had a, I was terrified of, and of the mortality and all these things blended together along with my passion to play sport, to create a really interesting early year experience, which was based hugely around what you're talking about, that savior idea, you know, trying to be perfectionist, saving there's a bit of martyrdom in there in terms of like you know i'm willing to live this tough sacrificial life so that others can be happy and in fact obviously what you come later to realize is that i was just really keeping myself away from what i really wanted but you mentioned it there as well i'm i'm uh, it's it's really really powerful I'm, I'm interested in all of this we're talking about human potential but with the amount of acceptance and everything it's very difficult for me to find kind of the life journey that sounds like this is better than this as in this one is a better place to go and therefore when we're on when we're heading this way we can help you get to this way because you could argue everyone's doing their own thing and who who has the answer but at the same time I feel that deep down everyone's asking for the same thing and that's almost what creates that idea of those that can help because they perhaps embody more of what it is we're all asking for. And when I speak about that effortlessness, I also ask people about what's the opposite. And when you get that answer, what's happening inside in the opposite, it feels like that's where the calling is. I feel unworthy, undeserving. I'm fearful. I feel insignificant. I feel stressed. I feel tense. I feel weighed down. And, and basically, I desire that freedom, that liberation, that self-expression. And, and what it feels to me is to know more about who I am or connect more to who I am. Is that where you would position human potential? Because obviously in the physical world, we can all build things bigger. Maybe people can lift more weights. They can kick balls further. They can run faster. They can make more money. But we kind of know where that goes. Human potential, is it about that deeper dimension? Yeah, plural. I mean, for sure. As I see, there's no end. There literally is no end to our potential. Uh, and I mean this in a literal sense. So 
as well as a metaphysical personal development sense. But there is no there is no end to what we are capable of knowing, being, you could say doing or allowing or manifesting. There is no end to that. So it's never ongoing unlocking process and, and that is evolution. It's just for the most part for humanity, it's limited itself to the physical realm because that's all that we for the most part it's shifting, but that's what we've acknowledged. We haven't acknowledged these other quote unquote dimensions or invisible ways of creating and communicating and being and learning and receiving and sending. So if we were to simply if humanity was to open its mind to and it will, in the next 10 years, it will. Two, what's possible beyond just that Newtonian physical orientation or focus, then that same you know, vigor, that same eagerness that we've had to kick the ball further and to do more push-ups <laughs> is just going to effortlessly translate into the metaphysical, into the mind-body-spirit, into the alignment, into the awakening of consciousness to deeper realities and different tools to use at subtler levels of consciousness. So the drive is there. The drive for evolution is there in humanity. You can see this very clearly. You know, we're industrial little efforts. But we'll just naturally apply this to whatever we open ourselves up to. If we are only limiting that to our physical beliefs, or if we are limiting what we believe exists and is true, just to what our five senses perceive, and we think that's life, like even scientifically, that's been so clearly debunked that that's not life. It's just a very, very tiny spectrum of light that we perceive, a very, very tiny audible spectrum of vibrations that we perceive. You know, How do you know what you don't know if you don't have the senses to know these things? We only have these five senses. So we have a very limited image of life. We, what we call the world, often we think of as life. You look out at the stars and you look out at humanity and you know what you know. And we walk around thinking that we know something and that what we're looking at is life. And yes, it is. But it's just our world. It's just our tiny little, tiny little world. And if we are able to remove those walls from our thinking, from our believing, from our assumptions, and enter into that innocence, that kingdom of heaven, or at least the gateway to the kingdom of heaven, which is innocence, which is, I do not know, to be willing to spend more time in the I don't know, to marvel at the present with no knowledge, with no assumption, dropping everything we think we know and what we think it is for and where we think it came from and who did what and da da da. And just to be in the emptiness of not knowing, yet present, with a vigilance, sentience, feeling of knowing and being, yet without it being filled with knowledge. And in that gateway of innocence, of not knowing, our walls can disappear. And that same eagerness, that same drive for evolution will naturally just expand into what you could call other dimensions of knowing and being. I think what I find interesting with me is I, I had a, I had sort of, I've had, I, because of that defense mechanism that I created about achievement, and also there was a massive passion for a certain type of sport in there as well, or any sport really. But I had a balance the whole time about a passion leading me somewhere and that self-expression of just this is what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing right now. It's so natural. But at the same time, there was this 
self-created side that was always working against it, which was trying to create pressure and expectation and suffering and sacrifice. But the other part was just longing to feel at home with that ball in the hand. And so what happened for me was I met a lot of crises moments where simply that self, that defense mechanism could not survive certain life situations thrown at it. So something had to give. But the deep nature of those habits were to conquer it. And even when my obsessive energy sort of grabbed hold of the the spiritual, it still had within it buried deep those habits that it was a bit of a sidestep. It was using spirituality to still beat the problem, not to surrender to it. And it was very, very kind of, yeah, interesting. But those deep habits, I think, are still constantly in there, even in that conversations like this, where you have to talk about the not knowing and the and that immense humility, that beautiful humility. But at the same time, there's always that part that comes from that physical world saying, well, hold on, I'm doing it. Why is it not working? Yeah, it's cause and effect. It's the physical world of like, well, this is my training. So when I used to go and practice, it'd be like, I'm doing my practice, here's the result. But the practice of going from assuming and believing to not knowing, how do you transcend that those deeper beliefs about the physical world that, you know, I'm still going to get something from this practice. I will get my payoff for this. You know, all the years you've had your successes, they don't fill the hole, but you still go after more. What breaks that cycle in practice? What's the practice from going from knowing to not knowing for you? And what is it? What does it feel like for you? How does it feel? And has it been a big part of you? And is it still a big part of you after the awakening? Wow. Nice. It just comes down to desire. The desire that is put into that physical world and the trying to get somewhere. It's the very same desire. Fundamentally, it's filtered through different ideas, but it's fundamentally the same desire. That's the desire for surrender. In fact, all desires are the desire for God or source. That's why that hit me so quote unquote hard, or there's such a clear distinction between my exploration of personal development, spirituality, meditation, prior to the age of 15 or 16. And then where it hit me, where it was like, no, actually everything I've ever desired, I just desired to know the source of light. And it's like all these different streams of effort and trying and all these examples that you called, if there's enough clarity or there's a strong enough inner urge or you're suffering enough out there to no longer care about the outcome, to, to know that you can't seek it there. Because it's just too painful to even try, to even get one step out of the door in that direction, it already starts hurting. So suffering is a great tool. That's why I say sometimes it can be very compassionate to let someone suffer with love, not that you want them to suffer, but to allow them to suffer. Suffering is kind of like marinating in your own stew. It's like, your own soup, <laughs> suffering, enjoying, and marinating. Those words essentially are very close to meaning the same thing. Suffering, enjoying, and marinating in your own stew, basically. So if you allow someone to suffer, to enjoy pain and pleasure, to enjoy their notions, to entertain themselves with their ideas. But like you were saying, and at some point, it no longer fills that hole. At least it never did, but you become aware of it. And the effort now to get to that little hit of dopamine or that little hit of satisfaction or that little moment of illusion of accomplishment, nothing wrong with that, by the way, but 
what used to be worth, you know, five years of grinding and push-ups to get to that one moment in, in a stadium or, or in your maybe in your local school gym with five other people and some parents, at some point it's no longer worth it. Not because you're a lazy bastard or because you're becoming, you're getting older, although there's some truth to that because you're maturing. You gathered more experience. You've seen that certain things just aren't worth the investment anymore. You become more selective with your life in all departments. Specifically, we translate this to spirituality, I think, over time, as we suffer, as we enjoy, as we marinate in our own stuff, and we get reflected, our own efforts and our own lack beliefs back at us. At some point, we start sort of giving up. Now, if we can do this giving up in sort of a devotional sense, if we can do the giving up in more or less positive or optimistic way instead of a pessimistic way. And it's okay to go through some period of despondency and pessimism, but if we can not linger in that pessimism, not linger in the victim state, but allow the lack of satisfaction that we derive from things as we used to, to simply allow all that energy to fall back into our soul, into ourselves, so that it becomes now available to seek something truer, something deeper. If we stay pessimistic and skeptical and too physically focused on the limitations that the senses perceive, then all that energy that used to be put into playing sports, for instance, or being successful, now when that world kind of collapses and we realize, hey, that doesn't offer what I truly desire, but we take that energy back home, but over here we have a, a bunch of pessimistic victim-based ideas, kind of in a hopeless state of mind, frame of reference, then all that energy is just going to kind of eat us up. It's just turning into depression or anxiety or some kind of ill health. But if we can let go, if we can be positively disappointed with our efforts, we can be liberated. We can see it as liberation. It's, oh, great. I no longer have to do another five years of reps, at least not in that <laughs> department, maybe in the department of meditation maybe in the department of letting go, maybe in the department of facing my lack beliefs and resting it in the arms of source and surrendering. But I no longer have to do that thing that I thought I had to do in order to feel happiness or in order to feel like I'm good enough or in order to feel like I'm avoiding doom. So if you can positively, optimistically, devotionally re-funnel that passion and that eagerness and that effort into a, from disappointment into a new direction, to new openness. In a sense, I don't know what's next, but I trust something is next. And that letting go of this is part of my journey. Then very quickly, life will show you an exciting new avenue of self-exploration, self-knowledge, meditation, contemplation, expression, achievement even, the things you desire just fall into place in a more harmonious, holistic way. And it's like, first, maybe you had a ton of desires. Even though it was very focused on sports, it was still scattered for most people. But every time you kind of grow up and every time you kind of let go and every time you kind of get disappointed with your own efforts and your own desires, and they no longer fulfill you, it's like all the energy that was scattered going out into all these little streams, they just start merging into maybe four streams and then maybe two streams and then maybe one stream. And the more one-pointed, the more singular our desire is, the truer a reflection of the creator our life becomes. You can call this emptiness, you can call this mirror being, you can call this enlightenment, you can call this surrender, you can call it love. That maturing process, if you like, from my perspective, I could sum that up quite quickly, I think, 
initially in that childlike state was a bit more of maybe that unconscious innocence, if you like. There was that sense of wow about just exploration and the future and just a sense of immensity. But then it quickly became about, I need to be the best there is. And then shortly after that, when there was some disappointments of efforts, as you're mentioning, it then became, I need to be the best I can be, which felt like a massive shift. You know, geez, I've done it. I've, I've created it. And then you're like, oh my God, this has just got, this is wrought with the same stuff. And so it became, I need to become all I can be. And then that was like, whoa, I'm getting bigger. But then that was like, oh my God, this is wrought with the same stuff until you're saying that singular sort of reduction into that more stream, which is just like the source, which is, it's not really about becoming, it's just about the surrendering. And I think for me, there's, there were, there's been a couple of streams. It's interesting you're talking about that, that yes, lots of streams, but all centered around this kind of playing, sporting angle. And when that collapsed through lots and lots of stress-related injuries and huge disappointments and lots of depressions and all that kind of stuff, it fell away to reveal the deeper stream of actually, like you said, it was a desire to know everything. But that earlier on, with all those beliefs in place, was a desire to conquer everything and everyone. And then, funnily enough, it's strange for me, though, that I feel like there's something about me. I, I feel very drawn towards conversing with people around this subject. And that's where I feel that there's a mutual serving taking place. And I feel that's the same energy that was behind trying to conquer everything. But because of who I was at the time, it was saying, right, you can kind of, if this is what you're giving me, this is how we'll uplift. You'll go and perform and maybe people you don't know will watch you and feel like, oh, that's great. You know, I feel better if we're going to watch the game. And then it goes through all these states and you sort of reveal that actually not much has changed. I feel like I'm just moving tr towards a truer, purer representation of what that energy's always been asking for. And I'm really interested in your view of, this unique entity or, or whatever you want to call it that we are and the passion and the calling that comes through us as much as finding out who we are. But what about those kind of things that you feel drawn towards through love? You know, I feel very much at home when I have a, a ball in my hand and, and if I'm just shooting it at a basketball ring, I feel like there's something there. It's different. It's different. I don't know what it is. It isn't about achieving, but I know and, I, and time flies for me and, and, and yet I'm still doing this. I'm exploring the inner state and the outer reflection and the success. And so there's still part of that sport in me, but there's this pure representation of it. Where do you see that passion and calling in people? Why do we all do the things we do in life? Why do we have passions as well? Yeah, and what do those mean? Is that part of a, is that still yeah, part of this journey? As I see it, the entirety of creation is the creator or source. It's kind of like a circle. It's expressing itself. But at the same time, it's a circle that comes back to itself. So for me, in my realization or experience, the primary intent or purpose behind the primary intelligence, the primary impetus, the impulse that in physical terms, you could say, produced the Big Bang. What quote unquote produced that, assuming that it came from source? It is a singular desire, but we can interpret it in two ways as almost having two sides of one coin. One is that of expression. You could say it's play. Say it's sports. It's a sport. The creator is having a sport. It's having a game with itself. It's expressing all that they can't possibly express. And source is infinite. So it must express itself in infinite ways if it 
naturally that's what it does and clearly that's what it does so it's expression and the other side of this coin is self-awareness or self-knowledge or self-realization and they go hand in hand so every time you express yourself you gain more knowledge of yourself you refine your self-awareness you become more refined you know yourself more even if you know less conceptually but awareness wise realization wise feeling wise knowing wise you know yourself a little bit more every day there's no way about this even if you unlearn everything you've learned you'd still know more that next day than you did the day when you still had all that data in your mind. So you cannot escape. You cannot add or subtract from the fact that you're always on this circle back to the creator and that simultaneously you're expressing more of it and you're getting closer to knowing it. So you see this reflected, at least in my teachings, but I I think if you look at humanity's drive and deepest desires you can see this dual nature. We want to express ourselves. We want to follow our passion. We want to become something. It's a journey of becoming. We are called forth to crystallize ourselves into a specific, unique way that, from my way of seeing, acts as a representation of the one infinite creator in the niche-like way that only you are designed to be. And that's what's calling you all the time. There's a blueprint in you, in each of you. There is an intelligence, and it's constantly calling you forth into that most unique, crystallized expression of yourself. Instead of kind of being vague and random and a mixture of society, no, it's constantly through your passions, through what excites you the most in this moment, and in this moment, and in this moment, like a breadcrumb trail of highest passion, highest excitement. It's trying to call us. We typically don't recognize it because we've built all these social walls and ideas of should, should nots, and ideas of who we are and what's possible around so we can only very minimally follow that passion but if we were to hypothetically open those walls again those doors we would notice that life is guiding us because every moment you have an opportunity to do something that's slightly more exciting than something else even if reading a book is more exciting than not reading the book going for a walk is more exciting than staying inside if we learn to ride this wave of just following that next breadcrumb we don't know we're veiled we don't know much but there is an intelligence that guides us. And it's showing us by means of what excites us, what calls us forth the most in each moment, moment to moment. Not like I'm going to be a lawyer because that excites me. I'm going to be a pilot because that's exciting. Yes, to some degree. You can be so clear on it that that's the direction you want to take. But this is more about the art of following the breadcrumb trail moment to moment to moment. Breadcrumb trail of what? Of what resonates, what excites you the most. And on that path... That is the path of self-expression, but simultaneously, it's the fastest, most accelerated route to that circle of self-realization, coming back into source remembrance of source awareness at a deeper, deeper level, which simply means in human terms, you get to know what you're made of more and more clearly every day. You get to understand how you particularly tick as distinct from others, but also generally what the nature of your consciousness, of your beingness consists of, what that is. So simultaneously, you become more and more of an expression of the creator that's more and more specific and crystallized. That is exactly what calls you forth, using the mechanism of excitement or passion. And if you are able to follow that, you will learn and experience and taste so much more of what's possible and what you're designed to be capable of experiencing. So it's like we're all on this spiritual journey, but some are doing it faster. They're allowing for more acceleration than others. 
And for me, it's always been important in my teachings, especially because I know that people aren't going to go straight to absolute reality meditations. For the most part, some people do. Some people have that impulse that I had when I was 15, 16 years old. But I don't see that a whole lot. Mostly people stumble into spirituality a little bit later in life. And it starts as an interest or as a, as a reaction to some painful experience or some alternative healing method because whatever Western medicine isn't providing what they need. So it's kind of like they're almost forced accidentally through suffering and reactions into this path. There's fewer people that just step in, like burst into the scene of, of spirituality and the eagerness with which they have that. It's like they have to, like that's their calling, that's their sport, is to know the source of life and why we are and so forth. So since I've witnessed over the years that not a lot of people percentage-wise have that or come into this type of teaching or environment from that angle, most people just stumble into it through little accidents <laughs> and reactions and seeking for a little bit of a relief from their life. But that's all fine. So I wanted to offer to that whole domain of not as intense in their seeking for source beings, which is the majority. I don't mean that judgmentally. It's just something I've observed. And in order to then make this stuff relevant for people, you got to meet them where they're at. And I'm not saying self-expression is not an important part of my journey, but the self-realization curve becomes all-consuming. It becomes most significant, naturally speaking. Because at some point, the gravitational pull is just so strong that anything else is just secondary. It's just accidental. It's just collateral. Yes, beautiful, beautiful expressions, beautiful distillations, purifications, interactions. But the heart of it is that self-knowledge. Now, for a lot of people, they're not yet on that sort of other half of the circle. They're still on the circle of who am I? What do I want to do with, with my life? You know, what are my belief systems and so forth? And so it's very important to include this component of act on your highest excitement because that's the breadcrumb trail. Mm that's going to lead you into the most satisfying, holistic, dense with learning expression of yourself, most fulfilling life. And it's going to accelerate your journey and desire for self-awareness. That highest excitement part is really interesting because I feel like there's two big voices going on inside, uh, certainly have been inside me for a good while and, and maybe it it's, it's, might resonate with people in the same way, but there's also a survival mode that kicks in and that it's very hard to even to even recognize excitement in any form when you're putting fires out in your life. And I think, I think that's a big one in that the voice you hear that you can mistake excitement for that need, for that compulsion, nice. Nice. for that habitual, yeah, habitual sense of worth. And I think that survival need, I think, is a really, really big one. And what makes it really interesting for me is that in that cultural society space, maybe a little bit as well tied in, is that it's very interesting asking people just to enjoy this moment. It's difficult for people, for people to enjoy retirement, for people to enjoy, you know, the, like for me, for example, if I really struggled with, if things had gone well, I felt so fragile. I didn't, I, was, I longed to be adored, but when it came, I hid from it. I ran, I create an immediate stressful issue. I'd find a situation where I could quite happily place my back against the wall and create a victim mentality as soon as I felt adulation. And if you said to me, just stand there and, and just just enjoy, just you know, enjoy, embrace this moment, find your highest, I'd be like, it's not okay to do that. 
And it's interesting that I think certainly in that survival mode space and 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 in just the the nature that for some reason I think there's a a discomfort with just feeling okay about doing that and not following the rules. You know, I've I've worked with uh, guys now when when they are kicking balls and that highest excitement, that getting in touch with themselves, that inspired feel. It's so so powerful, but it returns, it reverts back as soon as it can. And it feels comfortable when you create the comfortable space. But as soon as that you don't necessarily have those people creating that space for you, it reverts back. And it's really interesting, that survival mode and finding excitement, because the other part of it for me is that part of that mentality also, you mentioned about the earning your right, your, you, you earn your deserving, you earn all that in that you, before you go and enjoy your excitement, you want to know what's coming from it. And I think part of that surrender is the beauty of not knowing that the, the outcome is not your responsibility, but the engagement is, you know, follow your highest excitement, but you want to know, but you know, what will this do next? Cause it feels wrong. Basically. I'm really interesting what, with people that you work with, what are you seeing in terms of transformations? You know, I know it's obviously going to be different, but, but you know, it, I think for a lot of people, maybe in that space, it feels like a bit of a kind of, I feel a bit more at ease and I feel this, but you know, yourself, you've clearly had some rather amazing experiences and, and you know, I, I, I'm, who am I to even suggest what's happening within your world, but what is it you're seeing happening within, within people around you? What's the possibility of this transformation and, and even the, the sort of speed of it too? I can say, and I don't mean this in any arrogant way, but I can say that things speed up for people when they're near me or when they're around me. So it, it, I'm assuming you're asking more about the people that I interact with rather than, cause you know, mm. social media and YouTube, like I don't, yeah. I don't meet most of the people that transform from yeah. their interactions with this type of work. But the people where I do have the evidence, the anecdotal experience, the unique dynamics and the transformations and the challenges misunderstandings and the harmonizations and all, you know, it's a, it's a full spectrum. It, it contains every potential human emotion and interaction and confusion. It's all included. It's all part of it. So the analogy would be that if you're, you know, if you're spinning closer and closer to an orbit of truth. Now in this analogy, by that, I mean my own presence, but again, I don't mean this in any kind of you know, this could be anyone in your life. This could be a book even. But there's nothing, of course, like having the direct presence of someone that is not even hearing what you're saying. They're just looking straight into your soul. And that's an experience that can be exhilarating if you're on the readiness side of the equation. It's greatly accelerating. It's like eye-opening. It's expanding. And I don't... <laughs> it's not like I'm... Staring into people's souls, you know, I've learned to kind of blend <laughs> in and to like hide in a corner vibrationally. But, <laughs> but to some degree, I can't hide that. It's always going to spill over. I try to, it's almost like a, a certain output, like there's a gravitational field of, of sorts. Like, and I can turn the dial up or I can turn the dial down. I can become intensely present and it changes the energy in the room and it, it accelerates things for people. And either they drop into a most blissful silence or they start to freak out a little bit. Because if their shadows are not yet seen and integrated and they don't have the 
the knowledge to conviction that they're safe, like you were saying, survival response can hijack or postpone or, or convolute and conflate a lot of things. And therefore, it doesn't allow us to, to, yeah, to extract the golden nuggets and to integrate what's being presented. So I live a bit of a sheltered life nowadays. I, I never wanted to. I just had this feeling of maybe obligation, but a sense of sort of like a, yeah, I don't know, like a wanting to make sure I stayed plain, I stayed an average Joe, not without a desire for being authentic and allowing the greatness and the potential in, but I didn't want to necessarily separate myself from a normal life or like living with people and blending with their worlds like I used to do when I was a child what I was sharing. It's like meeting someone where they're at and boom, being relatable to them. Being That's the best word actually is like, I wanted to stay relatable both in terms of what I teach. I wanted to be accessible and relatable, but then also in my interactions, I wanted to stay relatable, maybe to a fault. But now I find that I'm living a more secluded, a more isolated life because of that reason of the acceleration. Like there's just not a lot of people that can go along with that flow. And if you can't, there's not a lot that you have to offer to the type of work that I'm doing and why I am here. So then there's just not a lot of relevance to be neighbors or to live together or to work together or to travel together. But at the heart of it, if, if someone were to meet me and really spend some time in my presence, then yes, there is an, an acceleration that occurs. If you're ready for that, it can be very, very exciting. It can be very eye-opening. It can be very awakening. And within a relatively short time span, it's all individual, case by case. But it's safe to say that within a couple of years, if you meet that willingly, and what are you meeting exactly? It's not so much me that you're meeting. It's your own stuff that comes up. Hmm. You know, Because imagine someone actually looking straight into your soul, that experience. I don't know if you've ever had it, but let's say that you do have that experience. Like this little inner gremlin that we have, call it the ego, call it the mind, call it the separate person, call it the self-protector, call it the one who fears death, call it the one who, you know, is hiding a lot of things because people shouldn't see this about me or that about me. Like that's being put to a boil almost by that gravitational field, by that presence, by that energy, that frequency. So if I turn the frequency up, that's why often I keep it suppressed when I'm around people. But if I were to turn that up, for instance, and I can't turn it off all the way completely because it would be detrimental also to my own health. But let's say that that frequency is higher than what you're used to. Let's say it's significantly higher than what you're used to. It's kind of brimming with an aliveness and a clear, transparent consciousness where there is no hiding, there is no lies, there is just a full, present consciousness filling the room with a sense of, there's no need to talk over things or, or chat chit chat or like try to deflect no like there's no way open book open book open book boom. so if you're ready for that <laughs> it can be very revelatory and it can be beautiful if you're not ready for it then the experience typically for people is they want to hide or fight fight or flight and either they take that on they sit with it and they learn or what sometimes happens is they'll go externalize and they'll project and accuse because we want to survive this gremlin in us. I call it the gremlin often. What many people have called the ego. I call it the gremlin because it's kind of cute, kind of scary. 
<laughs> so it's understandable, you know, it's this little human yeah. like self-protector, but it's also kind of like manipulative and, and creepy at the mm-hmm. same time. So as an endearing way, you can see this as your sort of inner gremlin. We all kind of have this inner gremlin and it's rooted in fear. It's what protected us when we were younger, when we didn't have the mature consciousness to consciously direct our lives spiritually, mentally, and physically also up to a certain age. And we never quite ejected that little part. <laughs> we never quite made peace with it, like said, thank you so much for your service. Now it's time to go. I'm of a certain age. I'm of a certain awareness. I know I'm safe. I know I'm okay. Of course, a freak accident can happen, but I know I'm good. I don't need you to always protect me, to always watch out for me, to always guide my thoughts and hide this in this little closet and that in that little cabinet and approach this person in that way and try to get them to do this and be that and show up in that way. And I don't need this manipulation of self and others. I'm good. I can, I can manage just being present, just existing, knowing myself, following my highest excitement as I go, doing that with as much honor, dignity, and integrity as I can, with as much self-honesty and transparency as I can. And when stuff comes up, when painful emotions and ideas come up, I can handle that. I can sit with that. I can be with that. I don't need you to hide it, and I don't need to run. And I don't need to make that bad in order for me to continue to feel good about running. So anywhere in that range are people's transformations. Even if people do have the fight or flight response, even in those cases, it's still beneficial from my point of view, in my opinion. It's still beneficial, and a lot of them do come to an awakening later on. They do come to a point of integration. Now, this may take a few years, but I've often had people reach back out to me after they kind of like kicked a can and hmm. you know made a fuzz and either apologized or or just share like, thank you so much. Like, I understand it now. I've been able to integrate it. I know I wasn't very courageous at the time, or I just wasn't able to see it. Or So even if people do react aggressively or in fear to this sort of spinning disc, you know, when you're on a playground as a child and you have mm. the spinning disc, if it's already going fast, so you try to jump on, chances are how you're going to fly off and hurt yourself. So it's like that. And in my position, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky because I've had to become more selective with who I actually work with. And, and that level of readiness and willingness only increases because, quite honestly, it continues to increase also within myself. And so the work that we do becomes more and more present. It becomes more and more holistic, transparent, like a field of pure consciousness operating naturally with hardly any autonomy. It's just like the universe interacting with itself through perceivers. And that's not for everyone because we're thinking that we're this and we're that. We need to do and when all that stuff gets pushed to the surface, which it does just energetically, it's, it's almost like physics. If this energy, higher frequency, meets a different frequency, it's going to have a gem. If something is spinning faster than something else, like wheels, like cogs, then it's going to shoot off. But if there is a harmony, if the speed is similar, then it can you know, rotate into each other and it can blend. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, uh, yeah, 100%. In fact, lots of coming up through me, listening to that a lot about that readiness I can see a lot of that just in, in thinking about and looking at myself and in all the whether you, however you mentioned the fear and what that represents you know this disconnection with self-worth and and that kind of instability or whatever but the amazing what you can make out of the defense mechanism 
it's when it's that powerful, you can do some cr crazy things. You can be so persistent and so ruthless because it is so important that that never reaches the surface or never is seen. You can actually do some amazing things, but there's no joy in it. And there's no, no recognition of the expression. And I think that's often when the it's so powerful. And maybe there are people that are higher achievers in certain areas who are driven by that. And when they get to the top and they realize that there's nothing here because I'm now still left with that horrible sort of, as you mentioned, sort of gremlin or whatever it is inside. And I'm still here and I got what I wanted and it's done nothing. But for me, it's really interesting that that awareness and that vulnerability is also, as you mentioned, it's a deep honesty in there a deep self-honesty, a deep self-honesty with, yeah. because for me, the performance hiding a lack of self-worth or, or, or it, which manifested itself in so many different ways and thoughts and beliefs and what have you versus performing through it with the same passion is the difference between, as I call it, grafting and your genius. When you graft your way to something and when you do it genius, we're talking about the effort and the effortlessness, but that honesty yeah, it's it's so easy to to run from that. But when you mentioned about just sitting in those feelings and just that's a big step for anyone. Mm -hmm. I had a big moment at twenty six or whatever, twenty seven, and and felt like I had some. I had six or seven amazing years after that, where I was. If someone said, "How are you?" I'd be like, before they even said, it, I'd just be like, I'm, I, "I'm amazing. I can't explain what I'm experiencing in life. I love nice. it." And you, th you and you think, yeah, exactly. And then you think, oh, this is great. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere bang and it rises to the surface again and it hits you harder than ever and suddenly you're shivering mm. and you're a wreck yeah. and you're back in that space where you're a child again and you can't believe it because I was in that space where I started to dots were joining for me and bigger picture stuff difficult to articulate stuff moments where I was just kind of like just so grateful to be alive things manifesting easily effortlessly and and you just feel like, yeah, it's good. And then it creeps in and you can feel it building <laughs> out of nowhere. And so much of me wants to feel like it's the story of, and I don't know how much is in this, of like, I'm asking for that. Mm. I'm asking for this to come back up. It needs, it, 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 I want beyond it. I want to transcend. I want to explore what it is without this or, or, or with it dissolved or or the realization or whatever. But But there's another part of you that just sort of says, why the hell is this happening to me again? And of course, I love the story when you were saying, you know, about having the awakening experience and then saying, this is some of my work and it's something that I, I look at a lot. I'm kind of thinking this is a beautiful, different understanding. Because I was kind of, when I had my rugby career, if, if midway through it, 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 something happened that was incredible. At, at the very end, something happened that was incredible. And I finished as, as in a fairy tale sense. And you sort of think, ah, oh, brilliant. But there's always this idea that there you go, that's done it. And I probably had that again. And of course, the, it, it's so interesting. But at the same time, when you mentioned that surrender, and this is what I want to sort of get to, to, to sort of towards the end, so, so, so interesting. You realize that what else are you going to do? Stuff comes up. What else are you going to do? Yep. Am I going to run from it? I know how that ends. Mm. Am I going to fight it? I know how that ends. But what else am I going to do? But go, and I think for you mentioned that willingness you realize it's 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 in me where all the opportunity is and and to sort of say well i guess that's the feeling it's kind of like this is presenting what else is there to do 
but face it and and in that every time it happens midway through the challenge when you're speaking to everyone on the phone trying to get all the help you can you're doing all these things i mean it's horrible but each time it happens there's a different understanding that just says that willingness is refining to say i know what i'm being asked here and as you mentioned maybe a bit the speed accelerates and it's a bit maybe it's a bit different next time or whatever but the work in you you mentioned about reflection so powerful i mean the judgment as well always looking at others the blame game on the outside trying to change the world so that we can stay the same versus evolution survival in that respect you mentioned the shift that's coming as well i'm really interested just in a little bit just to to show that yeah for you as well that inner world how does that work with the outer world i think that's kind of what's really burning at me it's such a powerful thing for me i'm not sure i have quite the words that you do just to to explore what that world is around those reflections. I, I, it's something that I work with in these players to be like, look, there's a, there's a certain inner state which matches what you want. You have to find it. And every time you have a go, the ball reflects where you are. This is the message it's receiving. And rather than saying, oh, Jesus, because the ball's not listening, let me hit it again harder. You say, let me see where my message is missing. And the message always misses when, when it, it comes to the crunch, there's doubt and there's a lack of kind of surrender. Mm. There's protection. And it wrecks the acceleration, it wrecks the tempo, it pulls out of the flow, and it completely transforms what is a natural, primitively evident, and yet almost innate understanding of technique. It turns it into an effort to manipulate and control. And I'm just interested in how that, how that rates with you. Just in terms of the inner world mm-hmm. of an individual, how that reflects the outer world and how for me in terms of that message of saying you know what else are you going to do when that those painful emotions come up yeah yeah i thought i kind of got through everything Mm -hmm. and yet it comes up again you know how do you see that through my eyes as well you know why why do things keep coming back is it just that there's unfinished business and yes well essentially yes however technically nothing ever comes back at least not the same way it may look the same. I was going to ask that question as well. I was like, do we ever regress? Or is it just the next step in advancing? No, I mean, you can temporarily block yourself. And so if you take a temporary, you know, if you could take a picture one day to the next, you could have like a really energetically open, flowy day. And then the next day could be really shit. So from that <laughs> point of view, from a very small snapshot point of view, you could say, okay, there's sort of a regression, but it's not really regression. It's just a shutting down. It's a reaction that comes up that kind of alters the energy. So yes, you're not doing as well. You're not as connected. You're not in the flow as much, but that's part of your journey and that's going to teach you even more. So you're not regressing. It's still an upward spiraling journey. Things cycle around, but it's like an upward spiral. It's like one of those garages where you can just keep going up and up the circle until you get to the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so it seems to come back around, but it's different. Every time it's a different iteration. It's at a different level. It's maybe the same theme. It's maybe thematically similar or circumstantially similar or consequentially similar, but there's something different about it because otherwise you would never have gotten out of that first situation to begin with. If it was truly still the same lesson that you're learning at the same level, it would be the same situation. Exactly. Like nothing would have really changed. But if it comes back around, it's just time for Johnny to have an up level. <laughs> it's time for Johnny to face his fears within that theme at the next level of subtlety, refinement, purification, balance of love and wisdom, and so forth. It's going to come around 
in the way that you are now able to meet it and see it and learn from it and extract the nuggets. That's why I'm saying like we're there's such a vast intelligence within us that is guiding this process. And if only we surrender more and trust that more and trust ourselves and being able to interpret it, if we're just present with it, we don't fight or flight as much, then we're gonna, that's going to speed up, yes. And certain themes are going to come back repeatedly in our lives. But every time it's lighter, every time it's subtler, every time it's maybe more complex in some senses, more layered, there's more to it, but that's because you can see more and you can integrate more and you can learn more. But this is very individual. It depends on how much you've programmed yourself to learn, how quickly you want to learn in this life versus how much you just kind of want to leisurely enjoy or experience. And there's very different degrees of how much some entities choose to want to learn in this life versus others. So, but if you are on the higher end of the spectrum in terms of wanting to learn as much as you can within this lifetime, then yes, those themes are going to come back around. You're not just going to get one cycle and then, yeah, yeah, I've done it. There's going to be another cycle of it. It's going to be another temptation, another reflection that you thought you had conquered or overcome or transmuted or fully understood. And it's not that you hadn't, because otherwise it would still be there in that shape that it was back then. It's just that it looks the same. But if you keep your eyes open, you keep, you keep your faith high, you surrender, you know that you're able to interpret this from a next level, then it might even happen that that theme will never come around again. There is an end to all thematic explorations. There is an end to learning certain things. Now, it doesn't mean there's an end to learning in the ultimate sense mm -hmm. of the word, but sometimes you are done with that. You're not, you're not being challenged by things you used to be challenged. That's how you know that you have learned everything you wanted to learn from that theme, is when that appearance comes back around that used to trigger you, there's just a gentle bodhisattvic smile on your face. But if it grabs you by the balls and if it gets nitty gritty and you, <laughs> you struggle, you're frustrated and you want to kind of fight or flight, even if you know better, then it's like, oh, I still, there's a deeper layer for me to learn here. But you, you know, it's so helpful to interpret this positively, to interpret this with, with faith and with a willingness and a desire. And when you do that, when you face that willingly, typically that's when the theme kind of ends and it no longer comes back around, at least not in that way. And so, well, you said it yourself already regarding your other, other aspect of your question, which is how does the outer reflect the inner? Yeah, it's magical, man. It's mysterious. It's powerful. But the analogy would be that you're in an echo chamber or you're looking at the mirror and um, you're, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're tasting, what you're getting back, the challenges, the invitations, the successes, satisfaction, and the whole balance of that, it is vibrationally commensurate where it's vibrationally an exact reflection of where you are in your assumptions, in your inner world, as you said it, or your inner, yeah, your inner world, your inner state. So when we see that reflection, it's like, oh, that theme comes back around. It kind of kicks us in the face. Or at least that's how we interpret it typically, initially. Because we don't like it, it feels uncomfortable. But as we face it, as we grow in willingness and trust and faith, which sometimes is the only purpose even of something coming back around, it's just to remind us to up our faith levels. It's not even about the specifics of this dynamic or that relationship or this particular disgruntled feeling. When we've already worked through a lot of it, 
And typically when it comes back around, it's just kind of like a boost of, hey, pay attention, be vigilant, up your faith levels. And then this moment you do, do that, it's almost like it appears like it's going to be that same disaster again, or it's going to be that same struggle again. But then if you use it well right there and then when it arises, if you're like vigilant, you catch it in the subtle stages as that theme spins back around, and you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to struggle this time. I'm not going to resist this. I'm going to fully accept the appearance of this theme. I have faith. Whee! And it just kind of withers out and dies. And, and, in, and it, in that faith level, well, I remember when I was going through things, I'd, I'd get the old paper out, start making lists, pros and cons, and trying to work things out. And, that, and of course, this is the opposite of having faith. The faith is, is it sitting in that feeling? Is that another way of saying faith? Because, you know, by saying I'm going to up my faith levels, the feeling doesn't necessarily when it's a real when i mean it's maybe because we're beyond the subtle stages but if the feeling is still hanging around it's the faith level to say okay so i continue to live my life and this feeling be here with me beautiful is it does is that how it sits as well as because sometimes you might think you know i've up my faith level and that's fine now which maybe sounds a bit more like a kind of i've, I've avoided it is that how it may look i would say if it hasn't grabbed you yet into like the nitty gritty, but it hasn't dragged you down into the mud yet. And where that threshold is, is for each to decide. But if you're still kind of feeling, you feel it coming on, the challenge or the struggle or the fear or the repetition of it, it's like, oh no, not again, or whatever it might be. If you feel it coming on, but you are able to maintain that awareness, you're able to maintain that calm, steady, faithful awareness, then that's typically enough to just like, but if, if you, indulged it if you were blindsided by it you caught it too late and now you're fighting with your demons again uh, and you can feel that you if you're honest you know when that's the case you're in fight and flight you're trying to manipulate your way out of it you're trying to resist it you're you're suffering essentially you're suffering you're kicking your head against your own wall if it's in that point then unless you have a strong training in some of the higher teachings of immediate release and immediate awareness and non-duality and oneness seeing God, and upping your faith levels immediately. Unless you've trained that, for most people in those more muddy situations where they're already in the muck, I would say yes, to sit with the feeling, to fully accept the feeling and to just feel it, to just feel it, to just feel it, is sort of the way into that clearer, less disturbed awareness. Now that, in truth, that awareness is already there. Like even when you're in the muck, even when you're completely struggling in your physical body, your mental body, your emotional body, maybe even your spiritual body to some degree, is like entangled with this resistance, awareness is perfectly calm. That primordial, intrinsic, pure knowing of naked I exist, that naked knowingness I am, doesn't give a F about your struggle. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly unfaced and undistracted. If you can line up with that, wonderful, you found a golden ticket. Not out of anything, but into the integration of everything because it now no longer faces you. That's a very powerful tool. It's a higher teaching. It requires more attentiveness. It requires people are earnest seekers and not lifestyle seekers or reactors to accidents, but they actually want to fall in love with God. They actually want to know that non-dual, primordial, timeless reality of things. And when they are able to tap into that, when they're able to penetrate that deeper level of what's always already here, now you have your greatest ally ever when it comes to 
allowing for your thoughts and emotions and your personality's evolution to unfold in a most harmonious way, not without its challenges, but it, it lubricates the path, so to speak. Smooth and yeah. Wow. But if you're in it, if you're in it and you don't have that immediate access, yeah, feel it, breathe through it, face it. Stop running, stop fighting and flighting. That's it. Don't resist and don't run from it. Sit in the feeling, sit with the feeling. If you do that and you just keep breathing, keep staying, staying present, stop being afraid of it. Feel it, feel it. If you keep doing that, it will clear. Some of that deeper awareness will, like a light, shine through and evaporate the clouds. It may take a little bit more time. You may need to be more present with it. But yes, that's the way. Wow, that's, that's really that's an amazing way of putting it. And I think you mentioned about when some themes don't have that grab anymore, maybe because you're starting to feel that. You know, I'm very aware of that in many different ways. And actually, even in this way, I think I was, even during the six or seven years I mentioned, I felt like I was there. I guess when it comes back hard and you don't catch it, it's a real big difference when you don't, catch it when you indulge it and you and it's that it is so important that that first stage of let me just indulge it i'm just going to get slightly recruited by it and go off in search of what it's asking me and then you're kind of like it's a big that that initial awareness wow that's that's a great uh, way of explaining it so to, to sort of i'm aware of you so much of your time it's just it's been phenomenal I, I've, I've only just i've looked twice at the clock and the first time i was like oh yes we've got ages left and the second time i was like where the hell's that gone <laughs> so i'm in a state now where i i, I would I, I quite like the idea of of just wondering at some point during your life someone sort of says you know what would be a good life for you what would be a great life to live but for me that question has become such a complicated one because I don't think I can start seeing life again as some kind of start and finish. Mm. And, and nor can I involve, I struggle with the past now to, to create this clear sort of path from old me to me. I'm more, for some reason, I'm very much more lost in this idea about there's me with memory and imagination as opposed to there's me that has a past and a future. Excellent. So that life question, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, 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 like you mentioned, it really made me sort of chuckle at the beginning when you said you tell a story so many times you don't even believe, know if it happened. <laughs> and also you said, I asked you, what, you know, how, tell me about you. You went, well, historically or as of now. And I'm kind of like, it's a good point because when anyone says, tell me about your life, I feel like I'm playing with it. I feel like I'm kind of like, yeah, well, I'll tell you a bit of a story. But if we went honest, I kind of like, I don't know how I feel about the past anymore. Very nice. It doesn't seem to, nice. yeah. And I'm wondering if I ask you the same question around a good life, where does life sit for you in this definition? And is there such a thing where you even consider anything to do with how to make the most of it anymore? Or is it making the most of itself through you almost? Mm. Well, you're catching me at an interesting time in a sense that I'm sort of retiring. I mean, that's just a word, but I can never fully retire. But there is a partial retirement from a lot of the levels of consciousness that I wanted to stay relatable to in the past and tried. I've just received very clear signals, very clear guidance that it's time for me to let go trying to be available personally to those levels. So it kind of looks like a partial retirement. It looks like a simplification of at least my physical existence. It's more of a chopping wood, carrying water type of experience, except in 2022, mm. I suppose. You know, off of social media, letting my team kind of be the bridge between the teachings and the world instead of standing in that position myself. And 
So there is a sort of a retirement. Now, that opens up bandwidth for other projects and other things that are of a less dual nature, less polarized, less sort of down in the vibrations of separation and politics and social, all that stuff, those worlds. So what's a good life for me now? It's the simple life. And what I perceive is always very layered and, and complex, but but I'm really enjoying shifting into the simplicity of not taking responsibility for the world, not trying to save, essentially, or not trying to continue that. And I've had this choice moment prior in my life many times for the past like 10, 12 years. It's resurfaced, like, are you ready to sort of at least have that partial retirement? And so far, I've always felt, no, I'm not quite done yet. I need to maintain a percentage of autonomy, of autonomous will to get this and this and this, this done because that's the world that most people live in and that's the only way to bridge certain teachings to relatable forms, if any of this makes sense. Yep, that's right, now, yeah. but, but my native state has always been, for the longest time now, been formless. So I have to focus my will. I have to keep myself in a certain position to be able to continue to do what I do, which includes this interview. It's near, I think course, my, yeah. my first or second of this year. And, but it's a good opportunity. It's really nice to have the opportunity to have a genuine interview request, which I don't get so often anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Anyway, my point is that right now for me, the good life to answer your question is the simple life. It's the almost like the carpenter life. I would say the, yeah, it's so blissful. It's like a release for myself that I'm finally allowing myself. I finally feel I've planted enough seeds. I've developed enough projects. I've kickstarted and trained enough people and a team to where that has now its own momentum to fulfill the mission of assisting the best we can in the ignition of global awakening and the streamlining of this global awakening that's occurring. And now it feels like I'm not personally needed to be there anymore. doesn't mean I will never show up anymore. But I want to focus more on writing, on just being physically, physically living a simple life. And so right now, on a physical level, that's what that looks like. And spiritually, that just means I get to expand much more into those non-dual states of love. And there's much less autonomy. Like a few months ago, I'd say average, my autonomy was at about 30%. And now I just have this intuitive sense of dropping it to about 2% autonomy, which what that means is that the rest is taken care of by God, by total surrender. And the little autonomy that I maintain is only when I need to, and other, otherwise something specific cannot be done at certain levels. It cannot reach certain levels. So then I take on that shape. I take on a form. I do the chameleon thing. I do the role-playing game. I do the putting myself in a position within a dual realm of people perceiving me in all these kinds of ways, offering something. But I want to kind of drop that from, it's dropping steadily now since I've made this choice, but dropping it to about 2% on average feels like my next baseline. And so in that sense, vibrationally speaking, it's a retirement for me, a partial anyway. You've basically tweaked my interest hugely in one final question, which I'm always loath to sometimes get into because it's, the, it's you know, it's probably the one that I struggle with most it's the one that, that the paradox if you like that i haven't been able to resolve most everything else i think has kind of blended itself for me to understand in that non 
articulated, non-intellectual way, I find myself comfortable in the physical and the, the, the non-physical and the, the realms of existence. I find myself comfortable, but the, the free will angle and the autonomy you're talking about there, I find interesting because it seems to me there's this kind of, we, we've spoken to people on this podcast before and some, some brilliant people talking about brilliant things. And one of which, which really, really got me was this idea that life is just something that nature's doing and that in order to feel it, we get out of our own way. And you've got these sort of two voices, this, as you mentioned, maybe the autonomy voice or, or decision. And then you've got this, everything coming through you but then the, the idea was that this thing coming through you is not necessarily interested in your survival personally because there's a lot of us for it to come through. So maybe, you know, we need some of that apparent autonomy to sort of say, you know, what, I'm not going to do that because I do want to be around for a bit longer to spend some time with my family or whatever it is. <laughs> but, it's, but it's interesting that, that it still doesn't quite resolve that issue for me where you're following it. So I even struggle with the idea of saying, you know, someone says to me, pick a number. Now, I don't think of a number. A number comes up in me. I don't sort of go, I'm going to think of this number. At what point do I do anything? If thoughts are coming up in me, feelings, and, and it's, you know, but at the same time, I also recognize the difference between those two paths. I've been in survival and stress mode, and I've been in that open expressive space, and I understand the differences, and I understand that I feel like I am somehow involved in, deciding those I know also that the spiritual path for me the most beautiful part of it I think is is that the constant surprise whereas the other path it brings sometimes adulation but very little surprise and a bit of this is like a slightly different permutation but the surprise angle of going into that unknown but I still don't know even with the awareness I like to say I became more aware or but but did I or is it all just you know that awareness is someone, something else's decision for me. Big question is why I don't ask, ask it too often, in fact, ever. But you mentioned it with that autonomy. It just triggered me to be like, I, I love the, the clarity because I know I've heard other spiritual enlightened people talking about how in that space of enlightenment, you also need to have something anchoring you into this life. And it sounds a bit like that's what you're talking about, you know, the formless, but you need to take form at some point to still be here in this realm. Is there any way you can clear this paradox for me slightly? It's a complex layer topic, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we can always cut this out. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's beautiful. Well, it could be very simple if we're talking about it from an absolute point of view. But if we want to make it relatable, then once again, we need to take form. And that's where the complexity and the layeredness comes in in order to have proper understanding in a way that's relevant for, let's say, the listener to have something to do with. Because unless you are able to as I call it, sometimes rest in the God state or recognize the God state, that pure sense of I am. Before that, it's just a discussion when we're talking about free will versus no free will or autonomy versus you know, destiny or letting it all happen through nature naturally. It's just happening. All that is just conceptual until the true nature of our very pre not even presence, it's beyond presence, but our very existence is directly known, directly known without the use of the thinking mind, without the use of thinking about this or that, free will or not free will. It's beyond that. So when you're, when I'm saying autonomy or dropping it from 30 to 2%, I'm kind of speaking about taking, 
taking on roles and responsibilities to pretend and being responsible for that and planning that and intending that and taking on the form that is relevant for that level that looks that way, that needs to meet it in that way, otherwise it won't happen, versus no longer saying yes to all of those contracts or all of those opportunities. So dropping that significantly means for me either forming myself into something from the I amness versus allowing it to be completely non-dual and blissful, essentially, and in love and not seeing any distinction between you and I and a stable. And so being more in that state of oneness. But until we're able to access that state, conversation about free will or not is just a mental dialogue. It's just a conceptual thing. So that being said, from the absolute level, it's quite simple. It's just how much do you choose to will yourself into a form for whatever reason, for whatever sense of purpose, whatever opportunity, whether it's service to others or an unresolved desire that you still have within you that just needs to express in that way, or a lack belief, a blind spot, where you just see this beautiful opportunity to create something for this world. And you say, do I want to make that quote unquote sacrifice? Like you're talking about martyrdom in a sense it is. Being bodhisattva versus being a Buddha. Having those vows to be of service and to see the liberation of others and to hold yourself in between the totally formless and the human world. And therefore you got to meet it halfway and you have to take on certain shapes and play certain roles and all that stuff. I just want to do less of that. But maybe that doesn't entirely relate to the free will dialogue. Essentially, that is still, that's still of my free will. It's a choice that I'm making. It's a decision I'm making. But what that is, it's up to quote unquote me. And you could see that's an individuated stream within the whole. It's up to me whether I feel truly, genuinely, holistically at a soul level, ready to let go of certain tasks, responsibilities, opportunities, desires, or whether I want to continue to explore in that fashion and be a little bit more condensed and have that focus so that I keep that form, I keep that position, I keep that bubble alive to some degree. But what it and when that is released or when we choose not to do that, then the experience and the inner experience, well, then there is no real inner and outer anymore. But then the experience is that God does everything. Yeah, okay. It's that the intelligence does everything. That's resonating in a way, like you said, from a position of the absolute the choice is recognized but from the position of of already being there there feels like no choice yes there's one level beyond that so this wasn't the absolute from the absolute point of view oh wow okay from, okay from the not to one up this conversation <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that's clarifying that's not what i meant with the absolute level the at the absolute level the quote-unquote experience although you cannot call it experience anymore at that level is that nothing ever happened so that's, in a sense, the final truth, or at least from that point of view, from that level, from that absolute level, nothing has ever really happened. There's not been any substance to anything. There only is infinity, infinite source, and nothing has ever happened. So one step down from that is what I call the God state or the state of I am or that pure awareness, where it's just non-dual. There's no distinction. There it feels, okay, you, you can still observe things are seemingly happening, you're not focused on them as specific things so much, but you understand, okay, creation, the illusion of creation, the illusion of perception, the illusion of these infinite expressions are occurring and they are occurring only by the nature of God. They're happening only 
by the power and the intelligence of one single infinite intelligence or energy. And then being plugged into that through the emptiness, through releasing that autonomy. And it's not about free will or not, but, but the flow is, you do, it's like you become that flow and there is no distinction. But it doesn't always express itself in relatable ways. So if you want to reach certain people, if you have that in your blueprint, which I have, then you got to kind of step out of that stream, weird as it sounds, and be something for a while. And then you step back into it. It can be a little bit exhausting, but then you're replenished so quickly. That's the problem also, Johnny. It's like when you step back into oneness, 10 seconds of oneness can eradicate like months of energetic depletion or exhaustion or imbalance. This, I think, is that is that the other side, yeah, the healing capacity of that state and that understanding, I think, that even just even just in the heart beating and the and the body moving, there's stress on the body. You know, the heart is stressing itself to beat. And I, I remember speaking to someone who's, who said, you know, another enlightened yogi in India who said, I, I slept about two and a half hours a night. And it was kind of like, well, how do you recover? He said, well, recover from what? <laughs> And it's like, it's beautiful, you know, like we're all in this process of thinking that I'm busy, I've got full days. And you're right, that autonomy carries that side of it. But but we get our healing and our replenishment in deep sleep. And so we go for big amounts of it. But I wonder if there's a state here when you're talking about having that that kind of awareness during the day so that you're kind of in and out constantly of of healing. I find that astonishing because we're so quick to flop onto the sofa at night and if you think about healing it's kind of like you're either in a hospital taking medicines or you're at home asleep in bed or maybe at best on the sofa with your feet up but even that's not doing it but i love the concept that you're talking about there about a different kind of healing well oneness is the fastest healing and not as a concept not like oh we're all one and we're under the banner of rainbow colors and like we should all embrace (laughs) each other that's beautiful too but (laughs) But oneness as a mind transcending reality, as direct recognition. Anytime that our consciousness rests in that quote unquote stream or ocean of oneness, the mind and the body are healing instantly as a response to that. Is that part of a, a process you would go through to say, okay, I'm I'm in this state of autonomy, I'm gonna revert I'm going to replenish in some way or whatever. I need to sit down and take some time and enter into it. Or is it something like you said it's already here what's the process of of that for you or is it like you said is it sort of always just about in reach anyway or you know how does that work yeah it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the aperture of a camera and i can just open it more or less but it's always there in a sense yeah it's like you know during the day anyway the sun is in the sky and you may not be focused on the sun directly all the time but you can you can look up and oh there it is but even if you're interacting and do your thing or taking on your autonomy or playing your roles or being of service or creating something or following your passion or being stuck in a lack belief or having a strange dynamic with someone or whatever it is, the sun during the day is still shining. It's eliminating the whole play field. Like without it, you wouldn't be able to see each other. You wouldn't be able to, you know. So it's kind of like that. The sun, this awareness, this oneness, it's always there. But the aperture, the degree of focus or exclusivity to what I pay my attention, what I'm in yeah, reflection yes. of yeah. can change. That's a really good explanation, yeah. Wow. 
Ah, oh, you're getting the impression now I could just drag on because every time you say something, I'm like, oh, what about that? But I'm, I'm going to call it. I'm just, I, it, it saddens me a bit to hear that you're retiring and that you might not take forms like this, like you said, deciding to do these kind of interviews because, uh, you know, for people like myself, I feel that that willingness, it is a bit like that now. I, every day I do everything, I'm looking at me and I'm, I'm fascinated and I'm curious about it in my relationships with other people. I can't stop them. And, and, I maybe get my own way because I, I love to talk about it and sometimes I feel like I'm talking about it because of the lack of belief sometimes. I'm proving something, I'm trying to prove something instead of, but I know I can't, I can't look at anything else anymore. It's never about the thing. I love doing the thing, it's just not about the thing. Nice. And, and, and that willingness, I think, is changing, like it's refining. It used to be so obsessive that no one could beat me on the field at times because they just couldn't get past the intensity. Mm-hmm of the fact that for me it was life or death <laughs> whereas others were playing at it for me that that lack was so severe and it couldn't be shown that i the fear and the doom but that willingness and that that obsessive thing is, is like you said it's been taken back for what was unsatisfactory and said right let, let's bring it back to this and now it's it's still here but it's but it's here in 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 a different form it's you know in a way sort of like burrowing itself through everything and I love it. And talking to people like yourself, you know, there's things here that that helped join a lot of dots for me. Not things that I can take away and say, I know that now, but just things that hit me on a level of of contentment deeper down, where part of me is just breathed out. Not on the surface, but there's a deeper part of me is just kind of, ah, yeah. And how that will settle, I don't know. But it saddens me that, yeah, that this this is obviously an incredible gift, yeah. But it also excites me to to wonder what that, that 2% autonomy version might just be like for you it just means there's more space for god to do resource to do its work so we'll see wow incredible but you know honestly i i cannot thank you enough it's been brilliant and, and I've, that's been a massive almost two hours of me just basically getting whatever i can from you and i really appreciate you've sat there and just delivered things in a beautiful way and i want to echo that towards you i meant what i said that you know the the genuine nature of offers we get for interviews or documentaries like they're hard to find these days and so i've already not been doing many retreats for a few years i've rarely done interviews but it's really nice sometimes i feel a spark we get a request and it's like somehow this feels genuine let's uh, let's go for it and i had that sense with you and you've proven that to be true and um, i would just want to thank you for that it feels very uh, very pleasant Yes. Yeah, it does indeed. It does indeed. And, and you know, I, I feel privileged to get a load of this information to know that you won't be doing as many of these to, to be able to get to get this kind of exchange. Wow. Awesome. Nate, thank you. Yeah. Beautiful. Sweet. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Max Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. 